Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, a podcast. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And um, this is a podcast. We podcast. Uh, so th- we- this, is the, uh, this is the <laughs> podcast that was born of uh, the desperation that came to light during uh, lockdowns. Yeah. The, during the COVID-19 lockdowns. We wanted to shift our focus from the, the hot and the new to what all these streaming services have available. Yeah. And uh, so we decided to start going through uh, service by service. We choose a service. We choose four films. Mm-hmm. Uh, two that two Whitney which, hasn't yeah, seen, two, two I haven't seen. Two sometimes haven't there's seen, overlap. Yeah, sometimes, two I haven't seen, two William hasn't seen. We put them on a poll. You, the listener, gets to choose. And then we talk about that movie. Yep. Because uh, as far as we're concerned... Uh, the true value of a streamer isn't just whatever the new hotness is, it's actually their library. Mm. So, with that kind of in the consciousness right now, as everyone's talking about what's going on with HBO Max, uh, let's talk about a service that nobody's talking about. <laughs> uh, this is, well, that's a little rude, but like it's it's not in the news. Uh, this is, oh. uh, we decided this time on Critically Reclaimed to focus on a service called Kino Cult. Kino Lorber is a uh, distribution company that specializes in uh, art house films. A lot of international uh, cinema, a lot of silent cinema. Yeah, they, they, they mostly find older stuff and they clean it up nice and they put it out. And um, they have an entire streaming website dedicated to their cult library, which is not insignificant, not as vast as one might like, but there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. I've, and uh, so we thought we would focus on that this week. In light of uh, the whole HBO mess, uh, look up news yeah. about HBO. And what Warner Brothers is under new management, yeah, and so they're doing a lot of things that a lot of people find uh, a little bit uh, questionable, <laughs> disconcerting. If you love movies more than money, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, not just money, money that other people are making. It, it's, it's not it's, even our money. It's been very, very bizarre, and um, I, I found that sticking with a lot of these smaller services the ones that aren't beholden to sort of corporate masters or mergers mm. or gigantic, uh, mm. the whims of gigantic corporations, uh, tend to just do it on like a little bit of a lower level, mm. not dealing with huge numbers, and they tend to get more interesting libraries. Yeah. Maybe not better known movies, but mm. definitely more interesting. And so if you are a little bit upset by what's going on with some of these gigantic mergers or Netflix talking about what they're doing with their money, they're going to shift money. Netflix also announced recently that they're going to shift money away Mm. from what they were calling like vanity prestige projects. So, you know, good films like Roma or The Irishman or The Power of the Dog, you know, these great movies that were up for Oscars and shit. Mm -hmm. I think all of the Uh, ones you mentioned won Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. I I think The Irishman did. I don't recall if the Irishman won. I'm going to look it up. It feels feels like it did, It was up for several. Um, uh, They're not going to give money to those anymore. And instead, they're going to give all their money, all of their resources, to uh, really bland genre hits. Uh, And this uh, recording was just in the wake of the release of The Gray Man, one of the (sighs) most memorable movies you'll ever see. You know, it's one of the more accurately named movies I've seen. (laughs) Just Gray. Gray. It was nominated for 10 Oscars and didn't win a damn thing. The Irishman. The Irishman. Yeah. So, fair enough. Feels like it should have, though, doesn't it? Should have won something. But, something. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, but anyway, but, bring, but, bring us so, back to Kino, uh, to Kino Cult. My, my point being, uh, a lot of those bigger services that are commanding these gigantic amounts of money from you know millions and millions of subscribers, because of their size, are now more likely to change shape. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas these little ones choose a path and they just sort of stick to it. And Kino Cult, given its name, mm. kind of has to stick by a certain uh, well, certain path. When when you're a distributor who has a, a sort of a narrow focus, mm. uh, it basically uh, behooves you to know just how big you can get. You know, like know the size of your audience because you're not going to get seven billion people subscribing to a cult streaming service. You need to know like how many people are interested in what you have to offer and then what you can offer them for. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm, uh, I'm over COVID, but uh, the mm. cough is lingering a little bit. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. it won't be too much of an issue. Um, when you're a smaller uh, uh, service, you have to know the size of your audience and you have to know what you can offer them for that size. And so you can really narrowly focus on that group and you know that your audience will be there for it. You're not constantly worried about if we didn't add a million subscribers last quarter, mm-hmm. we're failing. It's like, no, yeah, we know the size of our audience. We've reached we're, a certain size. We're and catering okay to them, them yeah. and we and we plan for that. And you can do really wonderful things if you actually know what your goals and your plans are. Uh, and as a result, stuff like Kino Cult has a lot of really cool stuff. It appeals to a very particular demo. And the film that you chose is such an odd animal. It's such a strange motion picture. It's the kind of movie that I think ordinarily you would never just run into randomly. You either have to be seeking out the weird or you have to be exploring a library. The library at a local video store, if you had one or if you still do. Or you have to be going through the older stuff on your streaming service and going, what in God's name is Stunt Rock? is Stunt Rock. It's superhuman. Super music. Super magic. And super amazing. You'll be compelled over the edge of sight and sound. And under the spell of mind-boggling action and music, push to the danger zone. <laughs> uh, this is not my first time seeing Stunt Rock. It was mine. Okay. It was mine. <laughs> uh, Stunt Rock was one of the movies, uh, and I, I guess I can sort of let the cat out of the bag now, because the, the practice has come to an end. Mm. But I used to work at a movie theater called The New Art here in, mm. in Los, West Los Angeles. Uh, it's mm. the theater that still, to this day, shows the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep, every week. And uh, the only one that I think is one of the only theaters, maybe the only theater in the country that still shows it on a weekly basis. Yeah. And they never uh, stopped except for like the pandemic or the uh, occasional pa- week when they'd show like the sequel shock treatment or something. Uh, yeah. There, there was occasionally like a preempt. Uh, there was occasionally, a, a, you know, COVID. Uh, there was some remodeling. They kind of yeah. had. But even when uh, the new art was remodeling, they just moved to another theater. Yeah. The show must so, go yeah, on. Yeah. The show must go on. Yeah. So uh, I was raised among a lot of. Uh, you know, horny fishnet fetishists, and uh, okay, that's hey, the crap. Listen, they would they would agree with me. Listen, teach a person teach a person to fishnet. <laughs> They're horny for a lifetime. <laughs> uh, but uh, at this movie theater, very occasionally, the video store next door, Cinephile Video, which is still open. Uh, very good video store. Mm-hmm. We use them all the time. All the time. There's like when we research cine- stuff. Right. I look around on on mm-hmm. William's tabletop here, and there's actually like cinephile videos here. Yeah. But uh, 
uh, cinephile video, a lot of the people who uh, worked there knew that they had access to this theater just next door. So they would go on like film collector websites or even eBay and just buy whatever print seemed was like the cheapest. Yeah. And you can get a whole print or a partial print in some cases mm-hmm. uh, for like $40, $50. Yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah. You're not yeah. going to get something like amazing. No. You're, uh, but so you'll I, get like, you can find like, oh, I found a print of the Jerky Boys movie yeah, on so, 16 millimeters somehow. Uh, occasionally they could find some really good uh, like hmm. cult movies, like uh, your uh, Hunter from the Year 3000. No, uh, you're the Hunter from the Year 3000. <laughs> yes, I am. You're the hunter from the year three thousand. No, you're the hunter from the year three thousand. Is a feature film. <laughs> Occasionally, it was a piece of crap. Like they got uh, the Billy Crystal film My Giant at one point. No, you're giant. And we watched that. <laughs> and and like they'd wait until everybody's cleared out and start these things like eleven thirty midnight and just have them after hours on like a Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, people were smoking and drinking. That made the theater smell bad, so, so they stopped doing. So that they got yeah. a little, in a little bit of trouble, and eventually, like the yeah. whole practice ended. Um, one of my favorite experiences was going there to see the movie Krull, sans the third reel. <laughs> or no, it was the second reel. No, the second reel. So, so what, they, what, what, what got skipped? Krull, if you've never seen it, is a is an attempted sci-fi epic along the lines of Star Wars that came out in the yeah, 80s. It was, big fa- it was a fantasy. Yeah, yeah they yeah. threw money at it. It's actually quite fun. It's, it's, it's nowhere it's, near as good as Star Wars, but it's quite fun. It, but it, it's, it, it's, it hovers in the camp of Masters of the yeah. Universe. Not a great movie. No, I, I enjoy uh, watching it a lot, though. Uh, so you what, you what enjoy was, watching it, but it's bad. Wh- uh, where did it go, and what was missing, and well, where the, did you come to? The, the movie is about uh, this young royal couple who are about to be married. And mm-hmm. then the bride is kidnapped by this like evil demon who rules in this castle, and the castle teleports around the landscape. And uh, they, he has to assemble a team of uh, mercenaries and yeah. go to this magical castle. He gets a cyclops and a wizard, oh, yeah. and, all, and, and Liam Neeson yeah. is in there. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's a really role for Liam Neeson. And then they go and rescue uh, Liza Anthony. Yeah, uh, we got to see the wedding, and then we got to see the kidnapping, and then there was a scene where he says, "Well." We gotta find a team of badasses. Snap! They have the team. <laughs> Change over the, like the the, the process hilarious. of them assembling each one and introducing all these characters was skipped, and they just have the team. I admire the efficiency. <laughs> somewhere, you know, somewhere, there's you know, a studio you know, exec who's yeah. just like, I told them we could just lose real too. We, we didn't need that. So, so I saw Krull missing the second reel. That was oh, pretty fun. Wonderful. Uh, I, I saw some really horrible movies that way. I saw uh, there's a. a it's like a police academy knockoff called uh, the Paramedics. Oh, I remember is, that. Yeah, that yeah I don't, a, it's I, like this raunchy sex comedy yeah. about paramedics. Yeah, um, no, no, like that that whole like school, like that police academy. There was mm-hmm. tons of knockoffs. There was basically just like, what kind of school? Mm-hmm. Could we have wacky shenanigans at? And there was one for like the one that was just like scraping the bottom of the barrel for schools was moving violations, where it was yeah. people in traffic school. That's like an hour a week for like two weeks. You don't. That, that's not like. It's not like you have yeah, your own sorority. What, you know? what an hour a week! Oh my god! Oh, uh, uh, my wife and I recently watched the film Vice Academy for the first time. Oh. There's like six of those movies. And to teach a lot um, of vice. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but one of these nights when Stewardess we all got together, school. That was. Is, is that there was, one called Stewardess there School? There is. There is. There really is. Uh, it's that's just a straight great. up pornographic movie. It was it was a it was a naughty comedy. And now, I mean they're good. all body and have a lot of yeah. bare breasts and buttocks yeah. in them. Uh Stunt Rock does not have bare breasts or buttocks, no, but it has no. a lot of lot of hot people in that they're on fire. Uh, uh it's one of the most accurately named films I've ever yeah. seen. It's got a lot of stunts and it's got a lot of rock. 
Uh, Stunt Rock is a film by Brian Trenchard Smith. And if you don't know Brian Trenchard Smith, uh, get the fuck out. No, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith. <laughs> We've covered is, one of his films yeah, we, before. We, it was Escape 2000, right? Uh, it was um, Turkey Shoot. Turkey the, Shoot. The original title was Turkey Shoot. I think yeah. it was titled Escape 2000 in the United States. Yeah, but it was basically um, a most dangerous game in the future. And also there's a cat. Yeah, there's like a cat man partway through the movie. Yeah, never uh, explained. Turkey Shoot is bleeding amazing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's 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 bleak and there's some stuff in it that's kind of fucked up and like not for everybody. But yeah, as exploitation cinema goes, it's like, yeah, you're going to yeah. get your money's worth on that yeah, film. Brian Trenchard Smith knew what he was doing when it came to making uh, exploitation movies. He's an Australian director and he came up in the mid 80s during this big boom of exploitation cinema in Australia. He did Turkey Shoot. He also did BMX Bandits, which you probably heard of uh, by name. Uh, BMX Bandits was uh, one of the earliest films starring Nicole Kidman. It wasn't her debut, but it was right it was, up yeah, there. She, and she, she was, was a teenager. A, at the yeah, time. It was a teen film about a bunch of kids who were really into bikes. Like, you know, kids were into bikes in the 80s for the first time. And like, uh, like, but like st- stunt biking was a trend. Yeah, like yeah. jumping off of ramps and things. Right, right, and right. so Brian Trenchard Smith made a film about a bunch of teenagers who. There's a cult film in America called Rad. A lot of people love, <laughs> and it's just about kids who do bike stuff, and it's cool. Most of the movie rad is people bouncing up and down on their front wheel, which I guess is really hard, but it gets old for me really fast. And then it ends in a big chase. Uh, basically, take the movie rad and add bank robbers. <laughs> and that, that's kind of that's bad, basically yeah. it. The kids from rad have to stop bank robbers, and one of them is Nicole Kidman. That's a good it, pitch. It's pretty enjoyable. It's uh, okay, yeah. If I'd seen it as a kid, I would have uh, liked it a lot. Brian Trenchard Smith did a movie I'm very fond of called Dead End Drive-In. I've never seen which that Which is, uh, yeah, it's like an expo- um, or a post-apocalyptic movie. Mm. Um, he, and, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's, if, if you are, like, a, an undesirable in the future, your mm. prison is a drive-in movie theater. Like, that's ruled by <laughs> gangs. It's like... <laughs> That's a fucking awesome premise. That's ridiculous. Uh, he, and did, he did a movie I really liked called Frog Dreaming, mm-hmm. which was released over here as The Quest, and it starred um, Henry Thomas from E.T., mm-hmm. which is about a kid who thinks he's found a lake monster, but this, but the mystery goes deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's actually really, really good. Um, yeah, he, he, he did some smutty movies early mm-hmm. in his career. Uh, he moved to the United States and did... A lot of really, like, crummy sequels that are interesting just because of his presence. He did Night of the Demons 2. Mm -hmm. I did two of the Leprechaun sequels. Which is actually two of the better Leprechaun movies. Leprechaun uh, 3, which is where the Leprechaun goes to Las Vegas, which actually makes sense. It's a pretty good one. It's like, uh, oh, greed. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a backdrop now. It actually is a reason. The whole gold thing. And uh, And then Leprechaun 4 in space, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Like, that movie is completely nuts. It's not good but it's definitely entertaining to watch and he did a lot of straight to video movies i saw a movie of his that i actually really hate called atomic dog uh, oh that's was, a great title how do you it, ruin that it was uh, it was one of those movies that we saw like on the the bottom shelf at the blockbuster video in the oh. mid 90s it's like oh yeah let's let this one looks bad let's he, watch it oh he, yeah it's bad he did some uh, sci-fi channel original stuff perhaps most notably aztec rex which is uh, about uh, a T-Rex versus the Aztecs. Is Ian Ziering in it? Why, uh, yes, Ian Ziering uh, is yes, in it. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yes, he is. Uh, I, I forgot yeah. to, to, to check. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he's had one of these like incredibly prolific careers making mostly low-budget stuff. Uh, and But golly, he knows what he's doing. Well, he, he brings so much more enthusiasm and energy to these projects than a lot of other filmmakers. I've seen a lot of movies on the scale of Brian Trenchard's early stuff, which he had, like, 
he had a little bit more time or money or like talent uh, surrounding him and some of his early films are on par with whatever else was coming out at the time and some of his later films because the state of low budget cinema here's here's what happened with low budget cinema it used to be that unless you were trying to do something you couldn't do like you were trying to do some kind of big epic thing like huge visual effects a cast of thousands um the equipment you used to make an ultra low budget movie was basically the equipment you used to make a big budget movie and so if you made it good enough you you know had some talent and you mm -hmm. had some time and good actors and a decent screenplay your low budget movie could be more or less indistinguishable from mainstream hollywood product that continued for a while but as visual effects and just general production technology like uh post-production color uh, uh color timing that kind of thing um as that stuff got more expensive, the divide became more obvious. And so you can look at Brian Trenchard Smith making pretty much the exact same type of movie that he used to make, but it just starts looking cheaper and cheaper because mm. that's how the industry works. But I've seen comparable stuff to what he was doing in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and his stuff, even if it doesn't necessarily look gorgeous, like Roger Deakins shot or anything like that, mm. it always feels different. It's always more entertaining than the option. Yeah, um, I, I recommend, uh, and I've recommended it plenty of times before, but there's a documentary film called Not Quite Hollywood, mm. uh, which is all about... Uh, Ozploitation. Ozploitation movies, that yeah. that explosion of Australian exploitation movies, and of course they explain the ways like censorship laws and financing laws change to allow this big influx of uh, horror movies sex comedies mm. and uh, particular car chase movies and yeah. stuff that they would blow stuff up because there was a lot of open road in Australia that they could just shoot these big elaborate driving sequences on mm. Mad Max is an Australian movie that would that came out of that and a lot of uh, these action movies that were coming out of the exploitation <clears throat> era required stunt people mm -hmm. and those stunt people are very cool people. Like, if you've ever, like... <laughs> I, again, I'm, I'm sure there are assholes out there, but, like, I've I, stunt people do the most dangerous, exciting, bizarre stuff on a film set. And they do it for a living. They do it their whole lives a lot of the time. Uh, they don't do things that aren't safe. They always make sure that it's safe, but they do things that look as dangerous as possibly can. And indeed, if you weren't as professional as a professional stunt person, they would be dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you ever get a chance to talk to a stunt man or a stunt woman, it's not anybody, do they have stories <laughs> they have so many stories there's a there's a really good uh biography of the stuntman who was indiana jones and superman and james bond uh and he has just tons of great anecdotes and i can't remember yeah. off the top of my head what uh, that was but I'll, I'll try to look up that book so stunt rock is an ode to an actual stuntman uh and that stuntman is named Grant Page. Grant Page is the subject of Stunt Rock. And Stunt Rock is, it's partially scripted, but it's also mostly a documentary mm -hmm. uh, where they essentially just came up with a story, like beats they could come up with. Uh, the book I was talking about, and there are others as well, but the one I was talking about was The True Adventures of the World's Greatest Stuntman, My Life as Indiana Jones, James Bond, Superman, and Other Movie Heroes by Vic Armstrong. Vic Armstrong. Yeah. All right. It's a good book. Yeah, and then, and there's uh, 
plenty of reading and plenty of documentary films about stunt work, and mm. they're all worth seeing, including Stunt Rock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Grant Page fulfills what a lot of Americans have in their minds as a bit of a cliche when it comes to Australians, mm. in that they're all just sort of like laid-back guys you want to get a beard with, mm-hmm. and they're all named Bruce. Grant Page is also named Bruce. His name is uh, Bruce Grant Page? No, his name is just Grant Page. I was about to say okay. uh, no, that, that's that's sort of the cliche about uh, Australians. Hey, you're just, you know, lay back and have some, you know, the whole shrimp on the barbie sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that was fed by this weird influx of Australian content in American cinemas in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, mostly thanks to the success of the 1986 film Crocodile Dundee. Mm-hmm. Which uh, was a monster. It, it was a gigantic, gigantic hit. Not only was it enormously successful at the box office, Oscar nominated yeah, screenplay. Right? Screenplay, yeah. yeah it's yeah, screenplay's uh, just fine. Like just a fish out of water thing. It's a fish like, out of water. It's it's, it's fine. It's, it's funny though. Um, p- parts the, of it have aged very badly, the, but most of it's pretty good. The title character is played by an actor named Paul Hogan, who is just unbelievably charming. Like yeah. he actually had had that kind of laid back thing, and I think a lot of people were drawn to that. Yeah, uh, Grant Page has that in spades. Uh, and so when they ask him, hey, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to put on this suit and uh, they're going to set me on fire. And they have this thing that's going to like it's going to like pull on me and it's going to launch me through the air. I'm going to go play, like about 700 feet down into this big pool of water. And um, luckily I have this jelly on me so I don't catch on fire. So um, yeah. that's what we're doing. Today. Like he's so like completely yeah. matter of fact about it. Yeah. And that's something he does. He tells you what the stunt is and then. Brian Trenchard Smith films that from many angles. Yeah. He replays the stunt just so you can say, wow, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, to give that the audience a voice, there's another character in Stunt Rock. Mm. As if we yes. needed one. Well, and she is uh, a journalist. Yeah. Uh, and that is, um, let me look up the uh, the actress's name. You got this. Are you talking about Margaret Gerard? Margaret Gerard. A.K.A. Margaret Trenchard Smith. Yes, Margaret okay. Gerard. They would eventually get married. <laughs> Margaret Gerard <laughs> plays the uh, the journalist who is decides to do a, a story on Grant Page, and throughout the movie, she is a little bit uh, shocked by how he's constantly putting his life in danger. It why seems would to be very this? cavalier yeah. about yeah. how much danger he puts himself and, in just, and that just for a him, job. And it's, it's sort of like in a defensive maneuver, he just gets more laid back. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask you out for dinner, but I'm going to do it on a high wire outside okay. the window. This is a sequence that's just, this comes out of absolutely nowhere. There's no justification for it. Mm. Just all of a sudden, Grant Page is on a rooftop. He's connecting a high wire between an apartment complex and another apartment complex just in the middle of Los Angeles. Mm. So like not like. It's, it's not like the World Trade Center high, but it's like seven stories like, tall. You could, you could fall and... You could fall and die all, very easily. Yeah, you, you could die, definitely get so, very So injured. we're just watching him just... For, and he's not doing it for a film. He's just attaching cables, tying knots, testing them out. Okay, that's taut. And then just starts climbing hand over fist. He's not attached by a cable mm. or anything. If he falls, he dies. He climbs all the way, halfway across the wire. You see like people on the street looking up at him like, the fuck <laughs> and then he picks up and this is in the 70s and this is a this is a really uh uh really what, what's what i'm looking for this is really a ex- classy move uh he has a telephone he has a portable telephone <laughs> on uh, it's on not his a por- it's not a por- portal phone there's a wire like leading oh, from right. the building. He had- he's just holding the phone with like a handset yeah and so he, oh that's right so he like he yeah. just sort of grabbed it and grabbed it and then he makes a phone call and he calls margaret gerard and says hey what you doing 
And she's just like, I'm just working on my book. It's like, cool, look out the window. And she looks outside, and he's like outside her window, absolutely like just hanging on with his toes. And she's just like, oh my god, what the hell are you doing? It's like, I thought I'd see if you wanted to go out tonight. What? <laughs> Why? Get down, okay? And and then he, he does a thing where he... he pretends like he slips yeah like, and he grabs on with one hand oh yeah there's like, a moment when he's not holding on to anything <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying um and he, and he grabs and he's totally laid back he's just sort of dangling there wasn't so what yeah. do you say want to go and at that point you say yes i am very turned on right now <laughs> ray if somebody asks if you're a god it's yeah it it's a pretty terrifying moment and yeah. uh so that, that that's the sort of interpersonal character moments yeah in some basically she, she looks at him with skepticism and sometimes scorn and he does really cool stunts and wins her over and that's mm. the whole dynamic and yeah that's during, the whole plot and during the day he's working on a movie we don't really get to know a lot about the movie he's working on Just no, it's, it's it has, a tv series it's called undercover girl oh, that's right tv series. it's called undercover girl and it is basically about an undercover cop who gets in exciting situations every week mm. uh the mm. uh undercover girl of the title is an actress named monique van Devan, who plays herself in the film mm. uh, so I think she's still working actually um, and she has to do she's mad because she doesn't get to do any of the stunts and so much uh, of the cool I, stuff on the show is stunt stuff she's shooting guns firing flamethrowers uh, jumping off of buildings and uh, and this is true a lot of actors aren't happy about this uh, they respect stunt performers but when stunt performers start taking over the role mm. they're not doing what the actor would do. They're not yeah. walking the way they would walk. They're not necessarily behaving the way they'll behave. And so some actors aren't always happy mm. with how the stunt performers affect the performance, even though they are, of course, being doing the safe thing. So she starts trying to convince Grant Page to teach her how to do stunts, and he starts teaching her more and more stunts. And there's a moment later on where it's just like, oh, God, is this going to go too far? And she's <laughs> going to, like, do something really super dangerous. And she kind of does, but it's not that kind of movie, so it all kind of works out. Everything works out in this movie. Yeah, this is there's, not this is not a harrowing uh, film. Yeah. This is not like Grant Page gets framed for murder. Although I would have loved to have seen that movie. Just, him, gr- just Grant Page as himself being framed for murder. Well, I mean th- that's kind of like the plot of the movie FX, which is one of my favorite yeah, uh, thrillers from the eighties. About uh, it was also uh, starring a uh, Australian, yeah, Brian Brown. Brian Brown plays a visual effects artist in the eighties. Before it was all about CGI, when his visual effects were all practical, um, and he is hired by the CIA. To, or the FBI, I forget. But he's hired by the FBI to uh, help fake the death of a mafioso so he can go into witness protection. Mm. He does that, but in order to make sure it goes off without a hitch, he has to play the assassin. And then it turns out they they it, screwed it, him yeah. over and he actually killed the guy. And now he's been framed for murder and now the cops are after him, the mafia is after him, and he has to use all of his visual effects special, skills. Special effects stuff. Yeah. To, to survive, it's really clever and cool. It's it's a fun movie. It'd uh, be a great double feature with Stunt Rock. There were the first FX and Stunt Rock definitely. Yeah. The second FX is like really cartoony. I, yeah. I love the second one as well. It's but, got a robot clown in it. Yeah, and I'm not like entirely on board with that. It, it's 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 pretty damn silly, and that's that's about yeah. this weird like vatican plot to oh yeah steal it's gold like it's really absolutely silly. absurd like they uh, just gave up on taking it seriously but the first one's rock solid yeah so so stunt rock uh in in the day scenes we get to see grant page doing a stunt we get to see him falling off a building onto one of those big uh inflatable mats yeah uh just doing all these dangerous things and the camera is sure to show us that that's him oh yeah like grant page is doing the stunt he's the stunt guy mm-hmm. um 
actually what, what you were talking about, I was thinking, uh, Grant Page didn't, he was the stunt performer. He didn't play yeah. the lead role in the thing. Not in the show, uh, within it, the show. With, yeah. Not in the show, within the show. But I, I know it happens sometimes when a stunt performer does take over for an actor. Yeah. Um, I know that happened in the first X-Men film. Mm. Um, the actor they got to play uh, uh, Sabretooth, the mm. big, like, lion-looking dude. Tyler Maine, I think, is who it was originally. Yeah, Tyler Tyler Maine, who would also play Jason Voorhees at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's just this big, strong stunt guy. He's like yeah. six. Well, no, I think it was like he a wrestler. Or Tyler Man? Oh, was he? I think Tyler Man was a wrestler. Oh, maybe it was. I, I yeah. don't follow wrestling, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, they they put him in the makeup and they put him in like the fangs and the big, he's the big scary lion looking guy. Yeah. And they said, you know what? You look more the way we want than the actor we hired. So they fired the actor. Yeah, and they I, just put him in the movie. I, I don't know how true the Sabre story is, but that is something that happens, and oftentimes smaller roles in movies where your entire purpose on screen is to be in the scene and then get set on fire or something like that or get shot with a bunch of squibs it's not uncommon for stunt people to just play those roles yeah to maybe uh, even have a few lines yeah it, it can happen uh, um so but uh anyway yeah. uh so yeah during the day we get to see Grant page doing his stuff at night they go to party yeah uh because this is la they're just gonna take in uh maybe just something fun from a local band and here's where the rock <laughs> Comes into stunt rock uh, because they found a real band mm-hmm. called Sorcery. Yeah, uh, metal used to have wizards in it. <laughs> and, all, and, all and, and, like, and they wouldn't would just sing about it. They actually like this band Sorcery, which is just you know, kind of they're fine, but they're not like I, I couldn't name a hit. You know, they just sort of like they just sound like metal did they, in the they, in the late seventies. They, they did okay. They, they separated. Fun. They reunited. No That's... disrespect to sorcery, but like if you were just like, oh, what's their like, what's their big song? No idea. Um, but you watch them in concert and you go, yeah, those guys are cool. Every night they have like a running gag uh, gig. I don't know where. I don't know. Is it like medieval times where they just are there every night and people just it's, keep it's going? Like the, it's like the whiskey. It's just like a local but venue. You, yeah. But the whiskey cycles out bands almost every night. Like you mm. don't sorcery doesn't play there seven times a week. I mean, haven't you ever been by like some nightclub or some venue where it has? There's like one night a week. It's always it's like the owner's friends okay. get to play there like once a week. And I will say that's okay. And again, I'm sure there are exceptions to this mm. rule. One, this is not one night a week, it's every single day of the week in this movie, because this movie doesn't take place over that much time. Two, uh, this isn't like, oh, you can you can set up in the corner of our cafe. This is, <laughs> this is elaborate stage, spectacular. stunt spectacular. So Sorcery is a band of likable kooks. Uh, they're, I think it's their keyboardist never takes off his it's, like it's Mexican their, wrestler mask. Their drummer. Yeah, their, oh, is it the drummer? No, yeah. it's not the drummer. I think, it, the, I think it's the keyboardist. Well, uh, one, one, one of, the of them members, never takes off a mask. He, he has he has this mask, this uh, yeah, this thing that goes over his whole head, and um, and he's very cute about it. Like, why do why do you wear a hood? Why does anyone wear a hood? And they just walks away. Yeah, it's uh, like, well, I'll, I'll give you five dollars if you take off the hood. He's like, okay, and he takes off the hood, and he wore another, another one underneath. Hood underneath yeah. It's very whimsical. Uh, but the gag with sorcery is that you know they, they they sing metal, and they're as good as any other band out there. Maybe not the best in the world, but they're good. And their gimmick is while they're singing songs about sorcery. Merlin and Satan are fighting on camera <laughs> on using flamethrowers yeah. and stage magic. 
and uh, and like actual magic tricks, like oh, yeah. th- things you might see on a Vegas levitation, stage, you know, like floating up in the air. There's um, putting people in a cabinet and stabbing them. Yeah, you know? I've I've seen a trick in uh, multiple magic shows where somebody balances their body on like a pike, like a yeah. spike, and then shockingly it punctures their body, and the, the <laughs> spike comes out through their yeah. chest. And, Great catch. And they, they kind of ah, but it's a magic trick, so they're okay. And and again, when you're dealing with magic, magic is cool. I love stage good, magic. It's oh, very yeah. impressive, but. Magic just by itself is just, oh, look what I can do. Mm. It's the showmanship that makes magic amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it has it's, to be sold well. Yeah, you can't it, just do it. It could be with wonderful jokes. It could be with someone who's actually convincing you that they sold their soul to the devil, like in the movie Lord of Illusions. Um, here, it's a giant fuck-off metal show. <laughs> Where a guy dressed as Merlin, and I'm not talking about like the sword in the stone Merlin with like a, a pointy blue hat with spangled stars big, on it. long gray yeah. beard. Yeah. And there's like a big long haired guy with like pointy ears and red skin and he's shooting fire from his hands and he's Lucifer and they're fighting and for some reason they always fight around like a fountain you'd see in like... A parking lot. I was going to say, like, a gangster's front yard. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's just this real... I don't know why the tacky fountain, but they use it a lot for some reason. We paid for the fountain, we're going to use the fountain. You'll notice that magicians have a lot of these ostentatious things. That's where they hide, you know, the things that make it a trick. Oh, of course. That makes sense. It's just, I've never seen a fountain used this heavily before. I think it's at least of note. I have to say, I hate those programs that reveal how magic tricks are done. Oh, yeah, the secrets of magic. Like, oh, really? The masked magician. Remember yeah, that guy? Oh, God. Everyone I, hated that guy. And the fun of magic is pretending it's real, okay? Yeah. We know it's not real. It's a magic trick. But we want to pretend. That's the illusion. That's the, the fun the of it. The justification they gave, and I kind of get it, but I also think it's bullshit, uh-huh. uh, was the masked magician was, the argument was, uh, everyone uses the same tricks. I want to try to force people to be more creative. So I'm going to ruin yeah. some of the most popular. And it's based, and it's honestly, it's the basic stuff. It's levitation. Yeah, it's, you it's, know, it's that the, kind of thing. Like the, it, the kind is, of thing you'd see in any magic show. Which but, is which is cool, but like you know, it's but not. How, but how are, you're, you're not going to say, "Wow, I've never seen that before." It's just kind of just part of the show. I understand. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm I, not I supporting like, it. I'm just telling you, like, I, what and they also said. there's there's going to be a lot of magicians who aren't expert yet and need to start somewhere. I need to master perhaps also some true. of the old ones and find new ways to present them and find their voice. I feel it's like the masked that, yeah. musician was putting the kibosh on that. Uh, masked magician. What, masked, musician. Excuse me, masked magician. Uh, the masked musicians are, Plays keyboard are sorcery. sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> sorcery is a pretty good band. It's they're they're not great. I'd, the see, I'd see Sorcery because they put on a good live show. That That's the deal. I don't know if I'd buy a Sorcery album, but if Sorcery was performing in my town, I would fucking go. <laughs> because it's fucking cool. Alright? And I'm t- t- Flames everywhere, knives being shot out of people. Like, it's really damn neat. Uh, and every night, they go see Sorcery. And I think, I think the gag they, they is... They just like, really like Sorcery. Uh, the gag fans. is, and I think this is one of the parts of the movie that's obviously, apart from Grant Page playing himself, this isn't mm. real story. Um, I think the idea is, like, one of the members of the band is his cousin. Huh. And that's why they they have a connection. But they keep going to this sorcery concert every night, and they're going like, oh, that's cool. And then eventually they're trying to figure out how can we find a way to get Grant in on the show because he's such a great stuntman, and then they do. Which, which happens at the very end of the movie, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah. They just go to see sorcery a couple of times, and source, and because they know the bands, they come and yeah. hang out. There's a lot of hanging out in this movie. Very much so. A lot uh, of just people hanging out in yards, talking, drinking, having yeah. conversations, talking about stunts. It's a it, it's, for, for a movie with he- lots of heavy metal... Mm. 
lots of pyro, lots of people falling off of incredibly great heights, <laughs> lots like, of car chases. Hmm. It's it's a really chill movie. It's super <laughs> chill. It's a super chill hangout laid back film. Hmm. I don't. I don't. It's how did you do that, Brian? That's so fucking weird. Uh, my point was I was just going to say about. Uh, um, Sorcery and their live shows is apparently they're at this venue all the time. Okay, and because it's this, you cannot just like move that fountain in every night. You've got to yeah. like you've got to like install yourself for a while. But I'm seeing like all these people coming in, these huge crowds to see sorcery, and I'm like every night they do the same show except for the one night they add Grant Page to it. Every night. We're not gonna run out of an audience. Like this is how this is how long can this installation last? Mm. And the answer apparently is, is forever. Well, because <laughs> they I never wanna, talk about. That. I want to point out an, an act that was here in L.A. Uh, they played uh, pretty much regularly. I think like yeah. once, twice a week at the House of Blues on Sunset when it was still there. Yeah, uh, and they were called Steel Panther. I vaguely remember uh, this. I, I think they had like a different name. I think they were called like Dragon Farts or something really <laughs> rude prior to that. Okay. Uh, but they changed their name to Steel Panther and their gag was they were like uh, a poison knockoff band. Like they were 80s metal in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And the the joke of the their act was like no time had passed. They were kind of mm-hmm. a satire of a very Spinal Tap kind of vibe to them. And for some reason, they stayed for years. Mm. Like, that, they just became the thing to do at House of Blues. And there's got to be a crowd that would go to see that act every time they played. But again, once a week, I'm willing to buy it. Okay. Every day of a week, mm. at some point, that venue needs to start I don't think they ever explicitly say daily, so I'm willing to stretch okay. my mind a little bit and mm. pretend that Sorcery is playing at this venue once or twice a week okay. max. Uh, before, before there's there probably was... a crowd that is attending yeah. this show on the regular, the the just mm. the sorcery groupies, if you will. Yeah, uh, real fast. Uh, the original name of the band Steel Panther uh-huh. was at first it was a metal shop. All right, and then it was for a while metal school, but school with a K. Okay, metal school, and I then Steel school. Panther. Steel Panther. Okay, there you go. I, I don't know where I got Dragon Farts from, but <laughs> I, I do know that they changed their name to Steel Panther. If anyone starts a band called Dragon Farts, <laughs> we will review send, your album. I was about to say, send me a check for five bucks. <laughs> I just want, I just want a copy of the album. That's all I want. I, we'll I talk about send, it on the show. Cut an album and send it. But to you have to, you have to yeah. officially name your band Dragon, Dragon Farts. Farts. There you go. <laughs> Put out a whole EP yep. under the name Dragon Farts. Yep, not just one song, album. Any kind of music. You could play yeah. like Delta oh, Blues be, for all. It, I it care. could be klezmer. It yeah. could be heavy metal. It could be folk rock. I don't care. Whatever you do. In fact, if you meet a Delta Blues musician who goes by the name Dragon Farts, you're into for like a really interesting act. I think. <laughs> Sorcery. Sorcery. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Sorcerer, and so by the end of the movie, yeah. uh, Sorcery and Grant Page have spent so much time together, uh, that they just kind of, as a mass, all of the yeah. characters together think, hey, wait a minute, you do metal, you do magic, what if Grant Page was also in there and did, like, really dangerous things one night, that would be really cool. Yeah. That's their, their only impetus. That's it. They, this is they all it's leading to. They don't need and he's to, not even fighting it. It's not like I will, the venue. They it's not like, like I will... Some, I, their I, act isn't going stale. No, no one ever says, like, no, I'd cool. never do that. It's against my principles. Mm. It's just eventually they're just like, hey, Grant, you want to come up on stage and it'll look like we kill you, but then you're, like, all the way up in the rafters and you, like, swing in like the mm. Phantom of the Opera. And Grant's like, yeah. No, there's a way to do that. And then they do that. Uh, again, 
almost no plot to the extent that because so much of this movie is just watching Grant do stunts, Mm. hanging out with chill people, watching sorcery perform, uh, this movie is like about 90 minutes. Like, it's not a long film. Um, It's still very, very, very short to the extent that they have to add quite a bit of padding. However, the padding is mostly stunts that Grant Page had done for other movies and shows. So when they're interviewing Grant Page, like, what, what? tell me about, like, what's the scariest stunt you ever did? And he's just like, well, there was this one time they set me on fire and dropped me off of a cliff, but they set me on fire the wrong way, and it was almost really, really dangerous, but it looked really cool on camera, and they were able to use it. Mm-hmm. So we saw that stunt, which he had done, which was some, from a yeah. different movie. Oh, true, all that, that's a true yeah. story. All that. Yeah, there's, uh, but the one that's the most unbelievably fucking shameless is he's trying to explain how he's thinking about like writing like a book about how stunt performing is done and the right way to do it and the philosophy of it. Because what Grant Page is arguing, and it's kind of romantic and I wish maybe it had been like more part of the story. He's saying that like stunt work isn't just a technical exercise. It is an art form hmm. and it's kind of in its infancy and that it will indeed we'll see like a lot more incredible stunt work as time goes on. Um, so he thinks that actually like we're in a place now where stunt performers are starting to not just be like someone you go to when you need to do a stunt, they'll build whole movies around stunts mm-hmm. now and stunt performers are part of the creative process. And at one point in this interview, he just says, did you ever see Gone in 60 Seconds? And then it just cuts <laughs> to chase scenes from Gone in 60 Seconds. Not the Nicolas Cage version. Not everyone realizes that's a remake mm. of a very low-budget car chase movie from the which, 1970s. Which is really only notable for its car chases. Oh, yeah. The plot is... It, Gone in 60 Seconds, the Nicolas Cage version, is not a particularly good movie. But it's but a the, screenplay. Like, but, the, but, the, but, the, but the screenplay the screenplay makes sense. Like There's nothing wrong seen, with that screenplay. I have seen that remake. I saw the, the original. <laughs> I, I've yeah. seen the original. The original has better car stuff i mean it's not as like fancily photographed but the car chases in the original are pretty fucking awesome and you know they're fucking awesome because there is no hollywood bullshit on that Mm. (laughs) that's just people got in a car and did that that day uh so all of that's really really cool but the the and i'm trying to remember exactly what the plot of the original was basically just they steal cars the plot of the new Gone in 60 Seconds, they actually, like, sweeten it up a little so bit. They have to where, steal like, X number of cars in a certain amount of time. Nicolas Cage's brother is Giovanni Ribisi. Giovanni Ribisi gets in bad with a bunch of, like, badass criminals. And if they don't steal not just a number of cars, but very specific cars. We need a car mm. with this make and model. We need a car, blah, blah, blah. And they're all, like, super, they're, like, million-dollar sports Mostly cars. really, really hard to find cars. Some of them are, like, there's only one in the city, that kind of thing. And so, and they have to do it in a very limited amount of time. I would throw That's it, a cool idea. I would throw, you if can, I were the gangster, I'd throw it up. I'd say you have to get, you know, like, a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a... And a you know, all these yeah. fancy Italian cars and a Geo Metro from 1995. <laughs> yeah. Like, find one. Go. Beige. Yeah. Like, Give me a beige one. Like, <laughs> d- does it have to run well? No, just any of them. <laughs> In fact, I want one with a broken radiator. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not broken, break it. <laughs> <laughs> the remake is okay. It's a fun little movie, but if you, they, they kind of, Honestly, if you combined the original Gone in 60 Seconds and the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds, you kind of have the perfect movie. Because <laughs> one of them has like a really cool cast yeah. with like Robert Duvall and Angelina Jolie and Giovanni Ribisi and all these really talented Isn't people. Si- didn't Simon West or one of those action No, it was, um, oh, I think it was the who guy the who... remake of Gone in it, 60 Seconds? I think it was Seconds. Dominic Senna. Oh, okay. I think it was the guy who did, um, 
I, I could be wrong about this. I think it was the guy who did Swordfish. Oh, I hated Swordfish. I didn't care for it either. Yeah, the original was in the 70s. The, yes, the it was Dominic Senna. Dominic Senna. Dominic yeah. Senna. He did Swordfish. He did that uh, Brad Pitt, Juliet yeah, Lewis yeah. Uh, horror movie, California. Yeah. Um, he did Whiteout with uh, Kate Beckinsale. Mm-hmm. And he did Season of the Witch also with, uh, uh, with Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Cage. Yeah. Um, anyway, you take the cast, the cinematography, and the plot. Of the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds, but you take the car chases from the original, you've got a fucking awesome movie. <laughs> so, hey, so any amateur editors, get on that. Please. Like, edit those films together. I don't know how, you do, I don't know how you're going to make that footage match, but I look forward to seeing you try. <laughs> um, anyway, it's kind of cool. But like, so like, but this movie literally just cuts the footage from Gone in 60 Seconds for a while. It's, Not like it's a couple ex- of shots. Like it just cuts to it for like a couple of minutes. This movie came out in 1978, and yeah. at the time... Um, Gone in 60 Seconds was only a few years old at that point. Mm-hmm. I think the original's from 74. And it wasn't and, uh, a huge hit. It was a cult no, film. So yeah. uh, I, this was... Uh, it was essentially like what Quentin Tarantino does when he puts mm-hmm. like a reference to a 70s movie in one of his films. Yeah. Where he's just he's, like, he's hey, basically hey, look, making sure thing. the audience knows about this movie so you can go find it. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're just they're selling a movie that they like. It's just hilarious just how shameless they are about it. <laughs> like, it can, just, can you imagine like... Um, if you're watching the Batman mm. or whatever, and Batman's talking to uh, Commissioner Gordon or Det- I think Detective Gordon, whatever the fuck he is in that movie, and he's just like, "Yeah, this uh, this killer, the Riddler, reminds me of uh, oh, you ever see Zodiac? <laughs> we just cut to a few scenes from Zodiac, and then Jeffrey Wright's like, "Yeah, I, see, I saw that one. I saw that movie. <laughs> so it's a very good, uh, very good impersonation of the Batman. Thank you. <laughs> is there any levity in this movie? No." <laughs> You ever gonna laugh? Never. <laughs> does, does the movie need to be long? No, it doesn't need to be long. It's about twice as long as it needs to be. Yeah, uh, Stunt Rock is about as long as it needs to be. You definitely, <laughs> there's definitely not enough plot to keep these things. They could have put a plot in it. Well, it's or, almost or weird it that they out. didn't. They could have just said, "Hey, we like Grant Page. Yeah. Here's a documentary on the life of Grant Page." Would have been fine. They and just did this weird hybrid instead. And he also and. Maybe Grant Page, they could even organically work it in. And, Grant, and on nights when he's off, yeah. Grant Page likes to see this band, Sorcery. It's his favorite yeah. band. And here's a little bit about Sorcery. And in fact, that's the climax of your documentary. It's like, oh, and by the way, Grant the Page... The two things been, come together. You can bookend it with it. Like, you start with Grant Page preparing to do a stunt with Sorcery. How did I get here? You know, record scratch. <laughs> I bet you're wondering how I found myself here. Uh, and, yeah, and then by the end, it's like, and this is the stunt he did. And that was that's the mm. career retrospective of Grant Page up to the year 1978. Yeah. Uh, if I have one genuine critique mm-hmm. of this movie, and it's a critique that honestly probably based on the genesis of the movie, the budget that they had, uh, the time, it was a very quickly put together production as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not much they could have done. Uh, a lot, especially since a lot of the footage is, is reused of older stunts. Not every stunt in the movie is photographed in such a way to really highlight the stunt. Sometimes yeah. they're just, they're doing stuff that you know is cool, but. If you compare, and again, this, the art form of stunts and indeed photographing stunts has evolved, uh-huh. and you know, it's, it's in some cases it's gotten better. Some you might argue some cases it's gotten worse. But one thing that a really good movie can do is when there is a stunt, they make sure the film makes the stunt look as stunty as possible. 
They they try to get it from every angle. Yeah. They try to frame the shot in such a way that you can see like the mm. arc of the car as it flies. You want to show air. as much of it as possible. You don't want to cut away because if you cut away, people know that mm. like there, something changed but, but, and like something it didn't uh, work. Something yeah. Jackie Chan has yeah. famously done in all of his movies. Uh, Jackie Chan is a trained stunt performer, and he always wanted his films to highlight the fact that he was the one doing it. Yeah. That was the big selling point for Jackie Chan. I am doing my own stunts. I'm going to do the danger. I'm going to jump off the building. I'm going to roll over the car. (coughs) And he worked with uh, the directors and the the cinematographers Mm -hmm. to assure that you could see his face. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that... And it's more impressive if you see the actor. It's less impressive if you can see... It's cool that a person's doing it. But it's a little... It it takes you out of the movie a little bit Mm. if you can see... That's not Tom Cruise. That's Tom. That's a guy wearing yeah. a Tom Cruise wig right now, which There's is one that. of the reasons why Tom Cruise is so obsessed with doing this in the Mission Impossible movies yeah, so and you in the Mission to see his face and in the Mission onto the plane and, and in the Mission Impossible movies. It's not just about at least in the good ones. It's not just about seeing Tom Cruise's face when he's hanging off the side of a plane. All right, it's that we caught a great angle here to show just how death-defying this is. Mm. Like, just how terrifying this is. Just how oh, yeah. absolutely wild it is that we actually did this and that we let Tom Cruise do it. It's so, so disappointing yeah. when you can tell where the edits are. Yeah. When like, you can... if, if there's, like, two guys fighting and there's clearly a blue screen and then they cut to a wide shot and there's stunt guys, like, dangling from a helicopter or something. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's still cool that a guy cool did that, that but it's, did not, it. yeah. it's, it's not as uh, uh, invigorating and it's not as enthralling. There was uh, a moment at... <laughs> This is me com- complaining about Star Trek again. Mm. But uh, uh, in one of the first scenes in Star Trek Picard, uh-huh. there's... Uh, Are you going to be mad that Patrick Stewart didn't do his own stunts? No, Patrick Stewart was 79. <laughs> okay. I don't care that he didn't do his own stunts. All right, I'm going to cut he, some in slack that, to in Patrick that, Stewart. In that, right. fir- in that first season, he was 79 years old. He's okay. not going to do his own stunts. No, no, nor should he. Uh, but uh, the, the um, main, like, the main actress, yeah. who, uh, like, she's like a secret android. Okay. And she might have been cloned from Data, which is the okay. weird conceit. Uh, she's just sort of having a romantic evening at home. She doesn't know she's an android. And then these masked bad guys beam into her apartment and start roughing her up. It's like, okay, we got to get this android girl. Mm. And they put a bag over her head. Uh-huh. First of all, you have transporters. Just beam her up. Yeah, why, why <laughs> did you even to, need to beam down? To just beam, beam her yeah, you don't up. have to beam down and grab her. It's like... like just, I was thinking about how horrifying it would be to just, like, how, like, if you can beam anyone anywhere, why do you even need to put a lock on your door in the future? Like, yeah. if there's any criminals out there, they can just do just that. Just beam you onto but, the roof. But also, yeah, yeah, they could just beam you up. You don't need to do shit. You could beam <laughs> them directly into a holding cell. Yeah, like, exactly. there's no reason to do any of that shit. Well, so, it's pretty dumb from the start, but then, uh, then she, like, with the bag over her head, like, mm. sits bolt upright and starts punching guys. Yeah. And they say things like, oh, no, she's activating, she's activating. <laughs> yeah. And they have this big fight with the bag over her it's like and oh you can tell that it's not the actress it's a stunt person you which just is... did the, you put a bag over her uh-huh. head merely mm. so, like there's no reason for them to put a bag over her head. one of one of the most the first time i noticed this was in a 1992 uh shameless karate kid knockoff called sidekicks Oh, with Chuck Norris? And, with Chuck Norris and... Jonathan Taylor. It was the late Jonathan Brandis. Jonathan Brandis. Really talented actor who sadly is no longer oh, my, with my us. My heart goes out to Jonathan Brandis. I had yeah. such a crush on him. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was great. Yeah, he, he he had a rough go of it and he, yeah. he killed himself in the early 2000s. And it's a damn shame. He's great. If you never saw the original miniseries of It, he was in that. He was in Sequest DSV. Yeah, Very talented. One of the regulars on Sequest. Yeah. Um, he starred in a shameless Karate Kid knockoff with Chuck Norris, and he played a guy who uh, 
he was like a teenager who had bullies and he knew a guy played by the great Mako uh, who taught him uh, uh, martial arts. Later in the film, uh, he goes to a martial arts competition because the Karate Kid ended there and that's why we have to do it as well. And the gag is is that he, he, he needs like a whole team. You can't just enter just one guy. Mm. And Chuck Norris, who he's been idolizing and he's been having like these elaborate daydreams like Last Action Hero where he's like an action star alongside Chuck Norris in the various Chuck Norris movies. Uh, Chuck Norris happens to be there. He's like the celebrity judge. Mm. And he agrees to abandon his post and be on the kids' team. So they get to team up and it's him and Chuck Norris. And there's a whole fine fantasy it's movie. It's totally wish fulfillment. It's, it's silly, but it's harmless. Out, it's silly, but it's relatively harmless. And then, so there's a series of like, hey, we got to break bricks. Okay, that's pretty cool. And then we're going to have like all of these mm. presentations. That's pretty cool. And then finally, the kid who's allegedly been practicing with nunchucks throughout this entire movie, it's like, okay, it's time for your big nunchuck presentation. And if you don't do really, really well on it, we don't go to the finals or something to that effect. And so the kid picks up his nunchucks and then. He has a fantasy sequence in which he's doing the exact thing he's doing, except he's dressed as a ninja from head to toe. And, and I'm like, and right it's <laughs> clearly not Jonathan Brandis. And I'm not begrudging Jonathan Brandis for not becoming an expert in nunchucks, but you did not hide it very well. <laughs> and it's really obvious even to a 10-year-old. Yeah, they, they did that in, in any, anything that had a ninja in it. They yeah. clearly did that. The mask. Oh, it's very or, common. Or just, yeah, covered we, up the stunt we, uh, we reviewed on Cancel Too Soon a failed series called uh, The Master, a.k.a. Master Ninja, in which Lee Van Cleef from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, iconic actor. Someone uh, you really associate strongly with martial arts. Yes. He played a ninja. And by the way, this is Lee Van Cleef, like, really late in his career. It's one of the last things mm. he ever did. So he's a, a, a tall, lanky, old guy. But, like, old. Like, like, so in, his, like in his mid-60s, and at indeed, least. And indeed, like, he, he lived a hard life. So, like, he actually had trouble doing stuff like getting out of cars. Mm. So whenever he had to do action stuff, put on a hood, and then all of a sudden it's... That's a Shokasugi. Probably Shokasugi, who was, who was involved in that show, mm. doing all this cool ninja stuff. And it's like, that's cool. I know that's not Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> it's cool that someone's you're, doing you're, it. You're, a foot you're not hiding it very well. There's so a, you got to be careful when you do that. You got to be, uh, and, you, and you have to maximize how. If you can make it super cool, I don't care that it's a stunt mm. person. But you gotta, you gotta try to do one or both. There's yeah. a, a moment in Jurassic Park. Uh, this mm. is kind of a famous moment. Oh where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the teenage girl character. Yeah, they're they're um, crawling around in ventilation ducts yeah, and, towards and, the end because the Velociraptors are hunting them. And uh, yeah, the Velociraptors are down on the floor. They're in the ventilation ducts, and uh, the girl falls out, and she grabs her by one hand. And there's yeah. a, this shot from above where we see her dangling above the dinosaur and jumps up at the camera and like almost yeah. gets her foot. Yeah. Uh, and there's a scene where. Uh, the the actress looks up at the the camera and she's mm-hmm. like really panicked and then looks back down at the dinosaur. Uh-huh. Look carefully. It it's kind of weird how muscular her arms are in that sequence uh-huh. because that's actually a stunt performer. Yeah, and because they were using such advanced computer technology and this was like a first of uh, like this first kind time of thing. I heard this was the first time this ever happened. They they yeah. got the actress's face and superimposed it over the stunt person. The stunt person yeah. wasn't supposed to look at the camera. Nope, that was, was an a, accident. Yeah, but it was a like she looked up at the camera. It's like oh shoot, and then she looked back down. It was such a good but moment. It was a, it was a good that shot. They wanted to use it. That's like yeah. well, that's a good shot. You know, we'll just put the actress's face on the stunt person. Uh-huh. And that, it happened so quick. That you don't really yeah. notice, but if, you, if you're if looking you really for it, you'll attention, see it. it's a little yeah. distracting. But still, I but didn't yeah, notice it the first five times I watched that movie. 
there's a great way to shoot stunts. And yeah. I agree with you that they didn't always put the camera in a good spot to see the stunts because clearly it's organic documentary footage mm-hmm. where they're they're not shooting the film. Yeah. They're shooting the shooting of the film. Yeah. So the camera of the documentary footage is not going to be in an ideal spot. And yeah. I think Brian Trenchard Smith was working with kind of limited resources. He, he had limited time, uh, limited and money, the, I t- and a lot of uh, reused footage. I totally get it, but it is would have been cooler. Yeah. Uh, That's all. Brian Trenchard Smith is on record saying this is his worst movie. I disagree because uh, I've seen because I've seen Atomic Dog. Uh, <laughs> I would say Atomic Dog. Uh, I still wouldn't call this. It's it's his most formless movie that I've ever seen. I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah. He wasn't able to make it cohere as like a story and yeah. it doesn't, but I think that's part of its charm. No, this, this it's really, good... really laid back. It's fun. Grant page is just such a fun guy yeah. and you want to hear his stories and you just want to hang out with him and watch sorcery with this guy. Yeah. And that's what the movie is. You're just hanging out watching sorcery with this guy. And I think there's something to that. Yeah. I think there's actually uh Richard Linklater gets this, the kinds of uh, filmmakers who understand uh, how fun it is just to watch people converse. Yeah. Friends just to who be just in the room to, with yeah, cool people. And these are very cool people. Movie, yeah. These are people who are part of an interesting metal band. They all have interesting personalities. Mm. People who are in the entertainment industry, actors, reporters, stunt people. You just want to be in the room with them. One of my yeah, favorite scenes in the movie is just where they go to a Hollywood party uh-huh. and they bring sorcery and a couple of their magicians and one guy just shows up and it's like, okay, everybody, I found a bunch of chains in the garage. And so I've chained myself together, and we're just going to dump me into the deep end of the pool and see if I can get out before I die, okay? And then he just does it. (laughs) You're an agent? Okay, if I escape, you'll sign me, okay? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, like, and that's it. It's like, that's the kind of party, like, that that sounds like a party you either really want to go to, or the party you really want to be on record is not having gone to (laughs) if that guy actually died. I've heard uh, that Penn Gillette throws parties like that. Yeah, yeah, we got a swimming pool in, in my backyard. We got, like, we got a ton of cornstarch and we just dumped it in the swimming pool and if you run it you can run across if you run fast enough and I just sank down and I wrestled this guy naked in the cornstarch it was really like that's yeah. and are you lying Pendula no you're probably telling the truth probably at least most of that's true yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the sort of like just hangout model of making a movie uh, is is no sin no I would, I would say that to Brian Trenchard it's not everyone's would, idea of a I good would, movie but it, fact, it can I would, be yeah. I would encourage anybody who's writing those gigantic uh, special effects blockbusters include at least one scene in your movie uh-huh. anywhere where the characters just hang out yeah and they converse and they talk about the things they're interested in mm. and there is deliberately nothing in there that sets anything up or establishes anything in the plot mm-hmm. it's just character stuff because that strengthens the movie unbelievably well. Yeah. It reminds uh, you that these people have a life outside of the inciting incident. Exactly. Which is really what, important. what are they doing when they're not doing this? And, um, and indeed, you might cut in, it, you might even cut yeah. a lot of it or all of it, but it's cool to have it. The it's, actors yeah. know it's there and then they feel more at home exactly. in the characters. There, there was a scene in um, one of the Avengers movies where they're mm-hmm. uh, they're at like a bar and they're just hanging out. Oh, it's a you mean uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. That's they it, had a yeah. party and then after the party, everyone's just sort of fucking around and seeing if they can lift Thor's hammer. Yeah. It's like the best scene in that movie. It's it's the best scene in the movie but unfortunately it's all plot stuff it's like well we can't lift it so someone else lifts it later in the movie it's like it's set up in a payoff it's not and bad. also it, it ties into the plot because oh we're hanging out that means we're unguarded and that's when action happens oh so, I, I uh, think that's fine uh, it's no it's fine I, I think it's fine you know, from like a screenwriting standpoint all of the setups and payoffs yeah. work well enough in that movie which is well, because, pretty sprawling and because sloppy because that's kind of the whole point of those but, early uh, Avengers movies is here all these guys 
I want to see what they do when they hang out. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, one of the, that's a like... scene I always missed in all the X-Men movies. It was in the comics for forever. Mm-hmm. They never put it in the movies. The X-Men playing baseball. <laughs> that was the thing. The X-Men played yeah. baseball, and, like, Nightcrawler was all of the outfielers at once. Well, he could teleport. teleport. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Wolverine was the pitcher for some reason. And, like... What a strong arm, I guess. Yeah, like, it's just... That's fun. Like and you put that in Twilight, you couldn't put that in X Men. What are you doing? Like that's yeah, the fun stuff. I want to hang out with the X Men. Yeah, they're, they're uh, just. I wish there had been a, a scene like that in, in every Avengers movie where yeah. they're just hanging out and uh, and and doesn't do plot stuff. No yeah. setup, no payoff. Just hang out. Yeah, because that's character stuff, yeah. and that's more important than plot stuff. Yeah. Uh, as such, Stunt Rock is all about Grant, uh, a character. It's about Grant Page, a real mm-hmm. guy. It's a movie based on his personality. Yeah. How do you communicate that personality? Just show him. Yeah. Don't make a movie. Don't make a. Don't make a story. Yeah. In fact, the less story it has, the better. Yeah. Uh, who is he going to talk to? Put a reporter in there, just so he has somebody to ask him questions. Yeah. And that's efficient. Yeah, and then uh, later they'll kiss. That's it. Yeah, briefly. That's a, like, it's not there's a little like chemistry, a... and that's all. Boom. Yeah, it's not a love story. Like no. they fall in love. It's part of it, but they, it's they don't uh, fall in love. They just start dating. Really, it's one of those like seventies romances where like it's really casual. Like it's like it's like yeah, we just sort of hang out together, and then eventually we'll probably have sex mm-hmm. and never talk about it again. Like that kind of a. But the boy, okay with that. It's like not yeah. hurtful or anything. Ro- Roma- a lot of romances in movies in the seventies are absolutely baffling to me. Like just, they're not based on any kind of meaningful connection. It's like, well, we've been in the same room together for more than fifteen <laughs> minutes. We'd better have passionless sex. Like, okay. Doesn't well, sound great, but... I, I love the sex scene in Network, because it's the yeah. least sexy thing yeah. imaginable. It's like, there's no... There's, they're just sort yeah. of, like, talking shop, and they're like, okay, and we're getting naked, and she, she's still talking shop while they're having sex. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh eh, well, okay, we're done. Yeah. It's like it's like, it's like doing wait, your what? morning fitness routine. There's, like, nothing... It's not like, wee! It's just like, yeah. I gotta do it. Yeah, no, nobody's having fun in that yeah. scene. Um, Stun Rock is... I, I'm glad I saw this movie. I'd heard mm. that it was really, really cool. And it is. Um, it's one of those rare movies where I, I honestly, like, the older I get, and I think our experience with the COVID uh, pandemic really helps solidify this, and this is, kind of ties into this whole premise of Critically Reclaimed. Um, seeing movies in theaters is cool. It's not important. I'll see a movie how I can see it. Yeah. Most movies you see, you'll never get to see in a theater. Because you're not in a theater all the time, you're at home all the time. And you're seeing whatever is on TV, because it's streaming, you have a DVD, it's on network, it doesn't matter. That's how you're seeing it. If it doesn't work there, it doesn't work. Stun Rock works at home. Uh It would be cooler to see this, not just on a big screen. At a big screen, I think preferably a drive-in, but on a big screen... Where everyone's smoking pot. <laughs> this is this just everybody's is, high and it's just, out. And it's just it's just chill fucking vibes, mm. man. We're all just smoking pot and going, oh man, glad I'm not dude, set on fire. Yeah, dude set himself on fire. Oh, don't do that. Do you no. still got junior mints? Yeah, I got junior mints. Oh shit, is that the real Merlin? Like you know, it's like that. Kinda... <laughs> oh shit, the real Merlin's in this movie. What if it is right? Like, the head cannon, right? They actually hired him. Like I'm just saying, it would be more fun. With that kind of atmosphere. Mm. Uh, but it is really, really fun. And I do recommend checking it out if you haven't already. Uh, that is it for Critically Reclaimed. We'll be back next time with the winner of our next poll. And, fittingly enough, we decided to go back to HBO Max. And since we don't know what's going to happen with HBO Max, <laughs> we've decided to pick suspense movies at HBO Max. 
And here are the nominees. Movie one, The Fate of HBO Max. You can vote for these movies on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Every single tier at our Patreon page, you get to vote for future episodes of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, You also get all of our podcasts free of ads. And you get uh, our new podcast, in addition to our old podcasts, Holy Batman and um, uh, Out of Gas, the Firefly podcast, which are both still available on there. Uh, we're starting a new podcast called Step Me Up, Step Me Down, where we review every single film and television episode in the Step Up franchise because we want to. Because we like those. Because we think they're neat and we think you're going to enjoy it too. Um, and that's going to start this month. We're very excited about it. But you can also vote for this poll. Here's the poll. This poll should be up by the time this episode airs. Your options are Basic Instinct 2. The sequel. The sequel. A Cry in the Dark, one of the more notorious uh, Meryl Streep speeches, comes from this film. The Two Jakes, which is a sequel to Chinatown, directed by Jack Nicholson. That no one talks about. Nobody talks about it. Most people forget that it exists. I've never There's, seen it. I'm super excited about the, that. Someday, uh, little, someday I'll get around to that. little bit of a note. Uh... Chinatown and the Two Jakes were two parts of an intended trilogy of films. Oh, yeah, I forget about that. Uh, Chinatown, if you've seen it, is about uh, L.A.'s water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Two Jakes is about L.A.'s oil. Uh-huh. And the third one was going to be about L.A.'s freeway systems. Oh. Who framed Roger Rabbit kind of beat him to the punch, because that's a lot of what yeah, that movie is about. It is. So just watch those three together. So, yeah, so that's, that's the third film in the Jake Giddis trilogy. And then the last... Kinda. And then the last film that's available for your voting pleasure on our Patreon page is Clute, starring Jane Fonda as a sex worker who helps um, Donald, Donald Sutherland, Sutherland yeah. find a serial killer. Uh, I think she won an Oscar for that, right? I think she won for that and Coming Home, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, anyway, those are the options of Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you to all of our patrons, mm-hmm. without whom our show would not exist. If you want to join our Patreon page, again... Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, we got a lot of exclusive stuff there. We just have, we recently put out new episodes of our show, Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We just did 1948. Uh, we have our podcast, All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek. We had to skip an episode, mostly because of COVID, uh, but we're back on track with that this week. Uh, and uh, we also have commentary tracks. We're going to do a commentary track this month for Cutthroat Island. Because, actually, we were asked, so we're going to do it. Um, and, uh, and more stuff besides. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for subscribing. Please leave us a review if you haven't already. We're also on social media, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to send us an email, you absolutely can. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Do you want to talk to us about something we talked about today on Stunt Rock? Do you uh, want to ask us a question? Do you want to take us to task for anything that maybe you disagree with in our reviews? We'd love to hear from you. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Do people prefer that? Send us an actual physical letter. Send it to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, until next time, I still haven't figured out how to end this. Thank you.